Welcome to the Clean County Time Podcast. I'm Aaron Sorrell. And I'm Brian Atkinson. Today, our guests are, once again, Everybody Part 2. We are taking a two-part look back at Season 2 with all our guests we've talked about, the good, the bad, and the funny. Danny Redwine hung out with us for episode number 11. She is a comedian from Grand Rapids, a cancer survivor, and someone who knows about continually adding to her set. Just because you, it's easier to just add on to it, but then you're, you're constantly adding to your original set. Like, yeah. I, I have a joke about dating bigger guys, and I literally, like, thought of things today that I can add to that set. Awesome. So, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. It's like when, when a joke is going good for you, you you know there's room to grow on that joke yeah. so and and you've got some recent dating experience so then i dated an older guy thinking that was going to be like a great thing and he was super slow and bought terrible gifts he bought me some slippers for christmas it's like who buys slippers for my birthday he gave me a money for order for 87 dollars and 13 cents I'm trying to figure out why the eighty-seven dollars and thirteen. I'm not. Really I don't know if he was trying to even out his account. Or... As we got into it, Danny shared some of the struggles of dating as a comedian. Because I want to, I want to date. Like I feel like I'm at the, you know, I'm getting a little older now. I'm like, I don't want to be alone. You know, who wants to be alone? You know, but I don't want to just settle and be with anybody just to be with someone. I want to be with someone that gets me. Yeah. And gets what I do. You know, it's tough being a comedian and dating. Yeah. Because, you know, the first thing they think, you're going to talk about them. Oh, yeah. I get that all the time. Yeah. Are you going yeah. to, is this going to be a set? Are you going to make a joke about me? You're like, no, you're not relax. that funny. <laughs> Let's just eat. You I know, don't, like, I don't know. Do yeah. something what are funny. you ordering? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's, right. it's like, it's not that serious. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that, I wasn't going to talk about you, but, but now I am. Now I'm going to reference this, date this on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how this date goes first. And then yeah. I'll tell yeah. you if I'm going to make a joke. But yeah. yeah. So that's one of my struggles. As we get into this second half of season two, you remember when I had COVID? Uh, you know what? I do remember that. That <laughs> put a little hitch in our get along. So we decided to play one of our favorite episodes with Kara Karachi that we recorded before the pandemic even started. And we got a little bonus conversation with Kara. Kara, what's happening? Hey, Aaron, thanks so much for having me. You know, my thoughts, of course, go out to Brian. I know he will be back in no time. Um, he's just a ball of positive energy. He most certainly is. Yeah, so are you. So. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you. We try. We we try to keep smiling even when uh, we don't feel like it sometimes. Yeah. No, that's uh, and that's what I like about you guys. Uh, what have I been up to? Uh, you know, I've been trying to stay afloat uh, with this pandemic. I was just in New York for the past week and had the opportunity to do some shows. I did a show at Stand Up New York, and then I went ahead and tried to live life like a New Yorker, which <laughs> was doing a couple of open mic a day, walking 13 miles a day, uh, eating pizza and ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so it kind of balanced out a, a net zero, <laughs> sounds like. <laughs> exactly. For every open mic I did, I allowed myself an ice cream. <laughs> Very good. And, and of course, it was the thin crust uh, pizza or the New York yes. style pizza. Yes. All right. Yeah. Yes, at 3 a.m. 
but yeah. Very, very <laughs> good. Very good. And any of you that don't follow Kara yet on uh, social media, her social media feed is just full of positivity, like she kind of referenced earlier, and uh, some excellent photography work and mm-hmm. just some wild adventures. Uh, uh, so check that out if you haven't already. Thanks, Aaron. You can always go back to season one, episode two, or the replay, which is in season two, episode 12, to hear the full conversation with Kara Karachi. We had a really fun show at a campground over the summer in a tent. And I don't mean like in a little camping tent. It was on those big old circus tents with green and white stripes. And we needed that for the couple hundred happy campers and a very big guest, Cam Big Fella Rowe. So I don't know if you guys can tell on the stage, but I promise you, I'll stand next to you after this show. I'm, I'm a tall guy. Big guy, tall guy. I'm six foot nine, you guys. Right? That's right, six nine. <laughs> now, don't Google me. I didn't make it. It's okay. I didn't. <laughs> Actually, well, here's the thing. I'm six foot nine, you know, I'm a six foot nine guy who failed at sports. <laughs> Let me say it again. I'm a six foot nine black guy who failed at sports, right? And I really like the black sheep in my family because I come from a sports family. Like my cousin, Willie Crawford, he was six foot four, won a World Series with the LA Dodgers back in the day, right? Yeah, not only that, my father. Curtis Rowe, six foot seven. He's a March Madness legend. He won three national championships for UCLA under Coach John Wooden. Yeah. Then in 1971, he got drafted by the Detroit Pistons. And he became an NBA All Star. I'm Cam Rowe. I was six foot nine. My last job was at Coney Island, you guys. They're like, your boy play ball? But like, but like, no, he'd make the heck out some chili cheese fries. <laughs> and uh, I think I do need to explain for those people who are listening outside of Michigan, a Coney Island is a diner. <laughs> yes. And, and they specialize in putting chili on things. <laughs> chili on everything yes boy, omelets <laughs> burgers yeah boy that, that kid uh was relentless with you cam <laughs> yeah i know i told you getting heckled by the kids i, I love it, it was awesome. yeah oh and i'm so glad that uh our camera and microphone and everything picked that yeah. up because boy that kid was the kid was hilarious. Man, <laughs> he was crushing it. <laughs> oh, and you handled it so well. You just, you know, worked with him and stuff. Of so course. Yeah, or, of her, course. or her, I can't yeah, tell I can't, her. Yeah, I can't go back at the kids. Only my own kids. But yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Some comics are afraid of working with kids in the audience, but Cam rolled right into it. And that kind of flexibility is something that Cam wants to keep working on. I'll start with comedy. So I would just say for me, with comedy... Um, I want to get better at being in the moment, I would say. Like, uh, you know, I'm pretty good when it comes to, like, having a set and knowing what I'm going to say. And depending on, you know, just doing comedy for the last eight years or so, I've been, you know, I can have my set starting in L.A., you know, when to be, you know, I, I can do three minutes, five minutes, 15, 12, 20, 25, 45 I can do all that and I keep it pretty tight. Um, but I think when it comes to like crowd work and other stuff and being more in the room, that's something I definitely need to work on. It's something I never really focused on before. So kind of um, kind of transitioning from uh, like a, a predetermined set to kind of being in the moment. 
Yep, right. Being more in the moment. Now, I can be in the moment while I'm doing my set. You know, I can say something here. You know, it's like with the kid. That's not an issue. But I think just more of entrusting myself to just I'm going to create what I'm going to say while I'm on stage right now. <laughs> and it's not an open mic. It's a show. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's a scary feeling. I know I remember one time at Sunday Night Funnies, which is kind of like a hybrid. It's an open mic. But it's, uh, you know, as you know, you've been there many times. It's a real good crowd. And it's it feels more like a show than an open mic. Uh, but, yeah. but I remember the first time I was there and, and, uh, Brian said, Hey, you know, there was a drop, you want to go up? And I actually took the stage without having any idea what I was going to say. And that it was a terrifying thing, but it, it really, it kind of helped build that muscle of being able to trust, like you said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Man. So how, how, how are you going to, uh, develop that or how you can work towards that um i would just say you know more shows doing more shows where um a set is not gonna save you like uh for example i just did a like a family reunion type of show where you know people are walking around getting ice cream and hot dogs like that's not the place where there's so much distractions going on that's not the place where you're doing a set you're gonna get their attention right right so I was yeah, that sounds know, stuff terrifying like that. to me. <laughs> <laughs> so on episode fourteen, we were joined by Mark James Heath. Winnipeg, it's great to be here. I am originally from Chicago. Uh, me and my wife, we moved here. We had our kids here because it was free. Uh, <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. Good on you as a country. Um, we currently uh, we live in Toronto, and Toronto is great because like. Everybody in my neighborhood is an immigrant, you know, including me. Like, we all got there within the last, like, 50 years, you know? So it makes the racism nice and subtle. (laughs) It's great. I go places now. I see people with overt racism. I'm just like, that's tacky. (laughs) You're going to let that racism hang out? You're not even going to tuck it in? That's how you're going to (laughs) do? Oh, that's really fun. Thank you, Mark, (laughs) for being on the show. We've also got Mark booked for some shows coming up live in February. Mm -hmm. We're going to be in a listing room. We're going to be at Voyage Church. And we might even have a little something going on in the metaverse. We are excited to have him on a show because he is funny and also he knows how to give back. What's uh, something that's going well for you, Mark? The sort of pivot into leaning more into the mission and, and changing from chasing after what I think comedy success is because um, that's always been kind of the, the, the thought process is first you make it big in, in your field and then you'll turn around and give back to your community and kind of cutting out that middleman and just making the mission to get up every day and use what I have to do the best that I can, that that couldn't be going more well for me. I'm, I'm working with a lot of great organizations here in Chicago um, that I'm very proud of and doing a lot of mentoring work and, and actually improving the quality of um, people's lives that I actually care about and that I get to see on a regular basis. And I'm just blessed to, to be able to do that. Man, you just said so much right there. And I, I got I'm like giddy about hearing more about this because what you just said about flipping that script and, you know, not waiting for something to happen so that then you can turn around and engage with your community and give back. But to do that first, do that right now, man, tell me more about that. It's funny, right? Like, because comedy seems so competitive, 
um, when you're micro focusing on, well, everybody's trying to get a late night spot or everybody's trying to get into this festival. But when you really think about what you specifically want, nobody else really wants that. But you like you're the only comic who probably has that idea or probably wants to do that thing. And when you when you lock into that, it's like, oh, it's a pretty clear path to what I'm doing. So instead of having this mindset of, OK, I'm going to make it big and then make a lot of money and then I'm going to open up a community center or, or this or that. Uh, if you just think, all right, I really want to engage with teenagers or youth in Chicago who are going through a really tough time, who, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of dangerous to be uh, 12 to about 25, especially if you're African-American in Chicago, Illinois. It, it can be a, a rough place to be that age. So instead of waiting to become success, uh, famous or rich before I can actually do something, just getting up and going to wherever I feel like those young people are Right now, I'm doing, um, I'm partnered with an organization called Public Allies. We head to the West Coast to sunny Los Angeles, where we met up with Nishi XL. Nishi has an improv background, an MBA, a new baby, and a husband who tries to be helpful. He was trying to finish the Bible. He's like, babe, oh my God, I'm still unemployed after I read the book of Job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a nice guy. He helps out. He helps out. Like when there's a dirty pile of clothes and I want him to do the laundry, I just throw the remote in there. <laughs> it gets done. Uh, yep. That's how I get my wife to do. I'm kidding. I, <laughs> I just do the laundry. I just take care of it. Yeah. No, nobody has to hide the remote on me. Uh, I think that uh, pause after the remote was delicious. Um, uh, anybody who's listened to the show a few times knows that I have a, a great fondness for nothingness, uh, which is what my act is basically, I guess. <laughs> See, there's one of those pauses. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I just, I, I really loved that moment where you know the audience is going to take just a second to figure out what's going on. Maybe not as long as Austin would take, but um, <laughs> but just, you know, having that moment of let them get there. They'll get there. I promise. And they do. And they had a nice big laugh. Um, so uh, when it comes to that silence in there was how intentional was that? Is that something you discovered or something that you wrote into the uh, joke? Oh, I, I feel like sometimes silence is more important than the words themselves because it's, like it's not only a moment for um, the audience to take in what you're saying, but the more you stop and you come to a full stop, people, it draws them in and they're waiting for the next thing. And what is she going to say? What's going to happen next? It's just, it's kind of like a pull. So I, I love the pauses, but be, I think this clip was from like a three minute thing or something like that. So sometimes we want to rush but I was mm -hmm. like, oh, no, I'm going to take my full pause. And so I build every pause into every single thing that I say on stage. Being an L.A. comic, we just kind of assume that it's a cutthroat comedy world. But that's not always been the case for Nishi. I feel like everything is in the right trajectory. Like, 
the planets have lined up after a long time. Like, wow, a brown person gets a break. It's just, it's actually, it's actually very exciting. Like, uh, like I was saying earlier, I just feel very blessed to be at this point because not many people have specials out or get the opportunity to even film something, you know, on a major streaming service, let alone Hulu. Um, so I think just me not being resentful of people and being nice to people and getting, you know, building a good network of people. I think that was such a crucial part of comedy that sometimes people forget. Like, they're like, I just want to be like myself and I'm kind of like a jerk and that's my thing. And that's my stage thing. And then like, nobody wants to book them, you know? And you wonder why, like, well, I don't think they want you to like cuss them out before the show. Like, just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things where like somebody was saying earlier, I believe Brian, like in LA, there's kind of like this air or this attitude of, you know, I'm an LA comedian. And I'm like, guess what? There's 10,000 of us. And (laughs) it's not going to be you. It's going to be the person who's more professional and friendly and who's easy to, to work with. So Um, so I've just always taken that approach and I, I feel like just being humble and having that humility, um, people, they don't see you as like a threat or against you or in competition. They actually want to help lift you up. So that's been like a really positive experience for me because I have a great comedian family out here. Michelle Krajewski joined us for episode number 16. Her comedy transcends gender, age, perspectives, and blood types. She is a former special education teacher who brings a unique perspective from parenting her own two kids who are on the spectrum. I have uh, two ADD kids, and I tend to talk fast, so keep up. (laughs) See, when you're a mom of ADD kids, you have to talk fast, because simple direction is go to your room. If I don't get it out fast enough, all they hear is go, and then I can't find them. Yeah, so they're both ADD, but they're like night and day opposites. Okay, my oldest is like my husband. They're deep thinkers. They quote famous philosophers. My youngest is like me. We quote SpongeBob. (laughs) (laughs) So our dinner conversations are on totally different planes. (laughs) My oldest starts out philosophy major, a dad. Uh, In philosophy, Plato says, but Neoplatonic thought says, this is where I turn to my youngest and say, okay, a duck, a priest, and a rabbi are in a rowboat. (laughs) They're talking Plato. We're playing with it. Michelle shared with us the things she attributes her kids' success to. You know, I think they, we just uh, daily, my oldest daughter, she talks, she calls us every day, you know, she call and we talk and, and, uh, I think hopefully we've given them a good base, you know, and, and we've, uh, we've kind of made them work. You know, I was, they always had to have a job, you know, when they were old enough, you know, like not when they were five, but, um, anyway, but, uh, you know, they always, we always stressed work and being a good employee and being on time, you know, all those kind of things. And I, so I'm hope, you know, I think, you know, I know not, nothing's ever perfect, but, um, I think they're on their way and I'm, you know, so I could, you know, it's just a lot of hard work from my husband, both. So you yeah, instilled I, I some good old Midwestern values, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think so. 
It took us a few tries to sit down with Adam Deggy, but the wait was worth it. My wife is, uh, she's great. I hope she doesn't leave me. Uh, I need her, and uh, I find her very attractive. I don't know if you guys have seen a, a woman like my wife, but she has like, full, full coverage health insurance. I don't know if you guys That's the best, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show, Adam. Adam, we are so happy to have you here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is uh, a long, a long time coming. I feel like I've been waiting my whole life for this. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> seem like uh, that. We've had some, and you feel like you're ready. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I've prepared some fits and starts trying to make it happen, but mm-hmm. we we're here uh, now. Uh, you just mentioned your wife there. Uh, your wife Nicole. Yes. yes. And you just told me before we started recording that uh, you guys are expecting. We. Uh, well, I mean. It's more than an expectation at this point. I mean, it, it's. I, I'm pretty sure it's. It's going to happen. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I figure that. And you, you guys have. Uh, is this your first kid or? It is our 12, first or, child, and we we found out recently that we're having a, a boy. Which oh, uh, it's there's going to be an adjustment period because she, my wife was pretty convinced that we were going to have a girl, oh. and uh, now we're painting over pink. And... <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's kind of early to assign those gender roles. Well, right? it's uh, you know the previous homeowners. We we didn't jump oh, the gun necessarily, sure, sure. but the, the uh, apparently the people who lived in our house before us did have a girl. Sure. And uh, it's weird to me though that we, uh, I guess pink makes sense for a girl, but the the blue thing for a boy. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of colors. I think a boy likes. Sure. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I grew up in the 70s, so my bedroom was brown. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Everything was earth tone. Shag carpet and stuff? Uh, uh, it was, yeah, pretty much. You, you got awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah. There were there were airplanes involved. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, Adam, uh, again, thank you for being on the show. Uh, we are delighted to have you. And so let's talk about comedy. Uh, how long have you been doing it? Why? And how did you get started? So I've been doing comedy a little over 15 years. Mm-hmm. I may even be 16. I don't know. Um, it's weird because when you first start comedy, you kind of round up to sound <laughs> cool or yeah. you know, more, I guess, uh, like you're uh, more seasoned. So you'll say, yeah, I've been doing it for three years. And really, it's been like a year and a half. Uh, but then once you get over 10 years, you start rounding down because it's just started sounding sad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? So uh, I usually lie and say about eight years, but okay. it's in reality, it's twice that. Um, but I um, I I was always the uh, the class clown, the old cliche story. I was kind of a just an idiot in high school and um, was actually voted class clown uh, senior year in high school, which you know, uh, then I knew I had to. Yeah, what choice did you have? <laughs> yeah. Really? No, I just, um, I, I think I always kind of knew that I wanted to be the funny guy or make people laugh. And then I, I moved, uh, from the Muskegon area where, where I went to high school back to Grand Rapids. Um, my dad was here and, um, I started working at the Bob where Dr. Grins is mm-hmm, here, in, mm-hmm. here in Grand Rapids and, uh, kind of just, started performing at the club after shifts and and uh then i just kind of got into it that way and you know never looked back really never well i mean (laughs) i regret it every day but clearly (laughs) so yes i do look back uh but it's too late to turn around in the second half of adam's episode he talked about his comedy dad david dreyer and has been doing some mentoring of his own. I love Dave, man. He's always he's always been a really good friend of mine, and he's a guy who 
would be my friend outside of comedy if, if we didn't both do stand up. So. Yeah. I, I think that the dynamic of having a comedy dad, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I think that's so cool. And and you now kind of have a comedy son, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> we'll see. Are we talking about my actual child or are we talking about a, a young open micer in town? Cause yeah, you try to steer clear of all those guys. No, there it, it is, you know, I, I'm kind of transitioning into this role now where I, 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 I am kind of one of the older guys in town and I try to take some comics under my wing and give good advice and, and uh, you know, support and also kind of try to tell them what not to do based on a lot of the things I've done wrong. Um, and it's a different time now. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely different from when I started. There's a lot more happening as far as like locally self-produced shows and stuff. Uh which is awesome. And I, I just, I try to support, but also, you know, give, give new comics good advice and whatnot. So it's, it's different. Cause I'm, I'm, I have a different role now. I used to kind of, just... how does that feel to be able to share that, share some of the things? That it feels learn? great. I, you know, especially with a guy who I'm probably never going to have a comedy central special or, uh, you know, Netflix or there's a lot of things that are probably not going to ever happen for me. And that's, that's fine. So at this point, it's just like, you know what, have fun and, and try to give back or help, help people accomplish things you never could. Um, and just, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to be a, a good person. So because a lot of comics, if I'm being honest, when they get to the point they're headlining clubs, they they probably don't have a lot of involvement with their local scene and, and some of the up and coming comics. And it's funny, too, because I always I, I always refer to other comics as like yeah that kid and a lot of a lot of them are you know and i appreciate that in their early 30s too or just (laughs) or their 50s whoever you know sure if if they just started comedy i call them a kid but yeah you know it's uh i'm just i'm I'm trying to give back and uh you know just help people out as much as i can because i know not everybody does that so somebody's got to well the time has come on our little podcast to take a break but we'll be right back be sure to give us a review on apple Podcasts so it's easier for people to find us and like us on all your podcast favorites we'll be right back thanks to all of you for listening to the clean comedy time podcast Yes, thank you. We so appreciate you letting us and our incredible guests share the good, the bad, and the funny. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Please leave us a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Or you can now send us a voice message through Anchor, and we might just play it on an upcoming episode. To send us a voice message, go to anchor.fm slash cleancomedytime. Click the message button and record what you want to say. Thanks again, and we look forward to hearing from you. So, as you'd expect, some episodes are a bit more controversial than others, and on episode number 18, Andrea Kaspari took us right into the middle of a hot topic debate. You're a Kansas City-based comic. Yes. And Kansas City is in Missouri. Yes. The Kansas City that matters is in Missouri. Oh, there is some that is ethereal and has no substance, therefore Um, not matter. Yeah, I mean, it just it kind of splays into uh, Kansas City, Kansas. And um, 
Yeah, it just it basically the line straddles. There's a Kansas City, Missouri side, and there's a Kansas side, and Missouri okay. side is the yummy barbecue and like you know just a little uh, slightly classier, a little more jazz. So. And it's the part of Kansas City that likes people. Yes, because <laughs> yeah. M- Missouri loves company. Ah, I love it. Are there going to be a lot of puns? <laughs> nope. Gonna... That was the last one. Okay, I'll, I might Maybe. throw liar. <laughs> and we have the airport on our side, so. Oh, right. So when when it comes time for all the fights that go on with between the airport and other places, airports on yeah. your side. Good. Yes, it's on your side. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think about this impression? Does this sound more like Chewbacca or Gizmo? Uh, she's <laughs> the only comedian I know who's got a Chewbacca bit. All right, let me hear the Chewbacca bit. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so I, I just, I asked the audience, like, you know, I, I tell them I'm into cosplay, like my husband and I like to dress up for Halloween, um, you know, because he's my Han Solo and I'm his Chewbacca. That sounds a little bit more like uh, Gizmo. Oh, shoot. I better go back to the drawing board. He really does. I wish I were kidding, but like he really will. It's almost like a little mating call, like from a a different room. I'll hear him. And he's just like. (laughs) Just random. So it's not just a mating call. It's an effective (laughs) mating call. It is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just literally I'll just like be in the restroom or something. And I just hear my husband just from somewhere like. I'm like, oh, hi, honey. He's cute. Well, that's a toss-up. I'm not sure. It could go either way. Dr. Vien Pomachon, the comic doc, joined us from his home in Florida, and we talked about how he transitioned from a practicing ear, nose, and throat doctor to stand-up comic. I was uh, 41 years old. Um, Perfect. I was I was well-established as a physician, and it, I'll try to shorten this as much as possible. The, the bottom line is I've always loved comedy. Like I grew up watching comedy, even when I didn't understand it. I I was a kid who grew up in front of the TV and I would watch comedians and I would hear the jokes. And 90% of the time, I didn't even understand it. I just thought it was fascinating to see this dude talking and people laughing at him. Um, And so I think that there was a comedian in me my whole life, but I was raised in a culture that, that comedy is not a thing. Um, You know, people know that Asian culture, I'm Asian, you can't see me, but you'll have to trust me. Uh, Asian culture has this unusual obsession with being a doctor. And I am, I I, I wanted to be a doctor, and it's not just external. But uh, a lot of it is just, you know, like, you only have certain paths to choose from. So I kind of followed the, the, yellow brick road and became a physician like any good Asian kid is supposed to do. And then uh, there came a point in my life where I had to kind of done everything I was supposed to do and then chose to do something I wanted to do, which is try comedy. And all those years of stored up comedy shows <laughs> had, had, had sort of left a mark and I found a hidden talent. I took to it very naturally. And uh, you know, I got hooked by the laughs and the claps and the applause and, you know, I've been doing it ever since, and I've found a way to balance the two, uh, and they balance very well. You know, the the physician part is very serious, yes, very stressful, very professional, very yes, yes. Up. And then the the com- comedy side is me being a you know clown, 
with my fly down and falling off the stage, which is not in any way like my comedy, but you know what I mean? It balances the other guy out. Like no one wants yeah. to be with the other guy. Sure. The comedy DN is fun DN. You know, the comic doc is everyone loves that guy. The doctor yeah. guy is like, whatever. What's my copay? I hate you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, come on. What do I have? What medicine am I getting? What am I dying of today? I Googled yeah. oh. it. I'm dying. Give it to me, doc. And I'm like, go home. Take a nap. Uh, I, I imagine there's a lot of requests for antibiotics with people who don't need antibiotics. Yes. I give it to them. I don't want to argue. I'm just, you don't argue. Yeah. I don't have time for that. I just right. hear You just it. throw them out from the stage. I give them, I give them Pez and I tell them yeah. it's antibiotics. I tell them it's really good antibiotics. Oh, awesome. It's called Pezacillin. <laughs> <laughs> and it comes out of Batman's head. But don't worry about that. It's a secret <laughs> medicine between you and me. It'll cure your fake illness. Yeah. I always thought that the, some of the, um, the cylinders and things, uh, have names that th th come on, the, I know they're made up from a marketing perspective, but at the same time, it's like, nobody really thought about that. Like the, the one that, um, the only one my mother-in-law can take is Z pack and it's, she's just allergic to everything else. Uh, but it just sounds like that's totally just made up. And nobody thought of the comedic possibilities of that. Just yeah, I mean, nothing's more important than the comedic possibilities. Yeah. You know, <laughs> everything else is, I'm just, I go to work just so I hope something funny happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it, it does, though. I mean, I, I've heard bits and pieces of your set uh, over the last couple of years. And it's like, yeah, it's like you've got a treasure trove of material between um, work as a doctor. But then you also uh, bring your family uh, into that. Uh, yeah. and, uh, I, I think your, your wife is, uh, of course, a, a willing participant in that. My wife took my name. Her name was Allison Jones. <laughs> yeah. And she changed it to Allison Pomachon. That's how I know she likes me. <laughs> it's also been very amusing because every time she tries to buy something, they think she's committing credit card fraud. <laughs> This really happened one time. She was shopping, and this, you know, nasty, like, sort of zesty African-American lady's like, didn't believe it was her car. She's like, you don't look like an Allison Pomalama Ding Dong. And she, she had to call me over. She's like, this is my husband. He's Laotian. It's his name. It was this big deal. Because she's trying to buy a $2,000 Louis Vuitton bag. So I had to explain to the salesperson that I have no idea who this woman is. <laughs> <laughs> you should arrest that woman. A willing participant might not be the right term for her. She's a participant. Let's just call it yeah. that. And VN is so very thankful for his wife, family, and really where he is in comedy. I have a lot to be thankful for. I have a very loving and supportive wife. We have a great marriage. I have two Beautiful kids, very smart, very well behaved. So my family life is wonderful. Um, um, and comedy, I, I've really sort of gotten some wind in my sails. You know, this year I've been traveling all over the country. I've been to several festivals. I've been booked um, pretty consistently, pretty much every single weekend. Uh, I'm able to do comedy. And so I think that's that's what's going well. I mean, I'm in... Um, I'm in a growth phase in my comedy where I'm writing, uh, material 
that I, 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 I'm starting to learn how to write material consistently where, where the, the bones and structure of comedy are in me now so that it's likely to work more often than not. And I have the tools to refine that material. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, <laughs> it sounds like you really enjoy growth. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm a goal oriented person. I'm someone who likes to have a challenge in front of me. I'm not a static person. And that's probably why I had that transition between medicine and comedy. Like medicine is sort of one of these deals where you learn to be a doctor, you go to college, you go to medical school, you go to residency, and then it stops. Then you're kind of a physician in the same place. And, you know, you do the same thing pretty much every day forever until you die. Uh, and it's it's a good way to spend your days. It's a good way to make a living. It helps a lot of people, but there's not sort of this ratcheting and improving and challenging sort of part of it. And so for me, I think that comedy is always challenging. Like there's good days, there's bad days. There's always new material. There's always a different audience. And so, you know, there, there, no one's ever reached the, the you know, uh, Mount Everest of comedy and said, there's nowhere to go, you know? Mm, yeah. Uh, it, it seems like everyone's reaching for that peak and, and uh, even the greats uh, are humbled by it. The great Rick Roberts joined us for episode 20. Rick is one of my uh, favorite people, my comedic mentors and a guy that has really played a, an important role in my comedic journey. Recently, my wife has started talking about adoption. I'm like, honey, slow down. I don't think anybody is going to take these kids off our hands at this point. <laughs> Put them on Craigslist, see if you get a nibble. I don't know how it works. Start with that little one. I barely know her anyway. <laughs> we just sent in our final house payment, so I wanted to say that out loud and share it with some folks out there. Thank you. I'm really excited. It's not paid off. That's just the final payment we intend to send in. It's, uh, it was adjustable, so we made it zero more payments. And uh, now I've got financial peace, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah, Rick's one of those guys that when he says something, he means it. And when he says he rides a bike, this is what he's talking about. The winter was over, spring hit, and I thought, man, I'm going to exercise. i got to get in better shape. So I started riding a bike and, uh, you know, dropped... I don't know, 20, 25 pounds of fat started burning muscle, <laughs> started backing off a little bit. But well, a, and, you know, and when you say you started riding a bike, I, I mean, what, what's your longest ride? A hundred miles. A hundred miles. Yeah. yeah I've done, done that three times. And uh, I get tired when I drive a hundred miles. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes I got to get off the bike and sit in the car for a minute just to, you know, <laughs> get stiff. Yeah. I suppose if there's a car chasing you, though, you tend to stay out in front of it. You know what? Here's here's the, here's the reality. I I can average seventeen and a half miles for a, an hour for a hundred miles. If I'm just doing an hour, I can do on a flat surface. I can do t you know twenty two, twenty three miles an hour. And if I'm going downhill, uh, don't tell my wife. I'm going to whisper this. But <laughs> I've got up to fifty eight miles an hour going downhill. And boy, that feels great. <laughs> I'll yeah. bet. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Jeff Jenna has been a working stand-up comic for over 40 years, has performed in over a thousand venues, hundreds of TV appearances, a dry bar special, and has one son. We spent $1,800 on a birthday party for a one-year-old. See, I, I thought my idea was much better. This is my idea. 
I said, we take him to the county fair, put him on a pony, have his picture taken. I take the picture home, I throw it into a drawer, and I wait. <laughs> I wait five, eight, 15 years from now, he will find that picture, and he will come to me, his father, and he'll go, Daddy, what was this? I said, son, that was your first birthday? When I bought you a pony, <laughs> we used to ride him all around the neighborhood. Then one day I had to go out of town. Your mom didn't take care of me. He died. <laughs> you just threw her under the bus. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's she's used to it. <laughs> I'm sure. Before we even got into our second half, I asked Jeff about his start in comedy, and he waxed rather rhapsodic. Every day of my life, I have done, for better or worse, and sometimes a lot of that time was for worse, yeah. uh, I have done what I wanted to do every day. You know, being in this job that we do, it's society makes, whether they know it or not, uh, has made a decision for us. And they, they give us a trade-off. They say, we are going to allow you a lot of freedom in your life because you can do something that most of us can't do. And what we don't realize when we first start doing it, we're, we're very cool with the freedom. But what we don't realize is that society then also gives us great responsibilities. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of times performing artists don't realize that with the freedom society gives them come a lot of responsibilities too. And it wasn't until it's been a few years now. It wasn't until about 30 years ago that I realized that I had better start being more <laughs> responsible. <laughs> okay. and, uh, and folks, move the focus over toward the responsible side, move the freedom side. That's maybe what you should do. There you have it. Our year in review. We had a terrific group of funny guests who got us laughing and then talked with us about what's going well and what's a struggle. Thanks for joining us for the Clean Comedy Time podcast season two. We are certainly looking forward to sharing more episodes with you in season three. And we can't wait to see you in the next Clean Comedy Time show. Thanks for listening to the Clean Comedy Time podcast. We bring comedians together performing their clean material at showcases, fundraisers, and other events. Our shows are free from coarse language and topics. They work for anyone, anywhere. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find an upcoming show or to bring Clean Comedy Time to you. <laughs>